You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokelo live from Seattle, Washington, USA. Thank you, thank you so much for joining me for another incredible episode of the African Father in America podcast. This is episode number 299. Tomorrow we are reaching uh, 300 uh, episodes and uh, I really really have a special guest here with me today. Uh, I have my wonderful brother Christopher Townsell who is uh, an associate professor. Uh, so I should be calling you Dr. Christopher Townsell. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, and you know Chris is also the interim director at the African Studies Program at the University of Washington. Go ahead and say hi before we begin the program, please. Hello Simon, thank you so much for having me. It is awesome to be here. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Uh I am excited for us to talk about today's proverb which is from Cameroon and uh it says that rain does not fall on one roof alone. That is going to be the center of our conversation today. Uh we are live streaming on two platforms. We are live streaming on Clubhouse which is a social audio platform. So there are people who are driving or listening to our conversation and uh uh we are also live streaming on YouTube. So there are people who are literally sitting in their living rooms from across the world uh you know joining us for the show today. So thank you uh if you're on YouTube make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you are on Clubhouse make sure you are engaging and sharing the link uh to this conversation. And if you're going to listen later on especially on Apple where we just became a five star rated podcast, I urge you to subscribe and rate the African Father in America podcast over there. So I want to begin the show with the three nuggets of wisdom that my team and I prepared uh for you today that were inspired by this amazing proverb from Cameroon. Again the proverb says that rain does not fall on one roof alone now the first nugget of wisdom says that you can't do everything on your own the second nugget of wisdom says that when it rains it pours and then the third nugget of wisdom says that there's safety in numbers so i want you to think about those but i want to come straight to you uh, my brother chris so that you can also speak to this african proverb uh you know for those who are meeting chris for the first time uh as i was researching i discovered that you're actually an author of two incredible books you know so later on i would, uh, i I'll, i'll ask you just to speak about them briefly uh but you also specialize in south sudanese you did a lot of your your work there uh in terms of your studies and it's a it's a part of the world that i'm passionate about uh because i lived and worked there for a while and um i want you to go ahead and take a stab at this proverb tell us what it is that came to your mind when you first received it absolutely yeah so what it brought to my mind was actually a proverb from the book of proverbs or um a teaching from the judeo christian bible which says that rain falls on the just and the unjust And so what this proverb makes me think is that, you know, we are all subject to or we are all equal, right? It doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor, whether your house is a one-room shack or, 
a mini roomed mansion, right? We are all subject to the vicissitudes of life, you know, joy, pain, life, death, seasons of plenty, seasons of lack, right? Um, and so we all need to make sure that our proverbial roofs are waterproof, <laughs> right? What's the point of being in a huge mansion if you've got a leaky roof, <laughs> right? Um, and I would think that it's better to be in a small house with a clean sealed roof than in a big house with, you know, a roof that leaks, right? So um, it makes me think about our equality under the eyes of God, regardless of our station in life. That's so incredible. Yeah, I love, uh, I love that the book of Proverbs today aligns with African Proverbs. You know, there's always, there's always, uh, there's always a question or a feeling when it comes to the Bible and African spirituality. And uh, I, I saw something as I was looking at some of the, as I was researching today's episode and just looking at some of your work, it looks like you've done a lot of comparison between different cultures and the Bible. And, uh, I, you know, I'm just happy that you're able to bring this comparison really quickly, but also, uh, you know, just demonstrate that, you know, the book of Proverbs can be aligned with African Proverbs sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm here with our special guest uh, for the day, uh, Dr. Christopher Townsell, who is uh, the interim director of the African Studies Program at the University of Washington. And, uh, you know, I want you to subscribe if you haven't, if you're watching uh, today's conversation on YouTube. And if you, if you are on Clubhouse, I see Lavender, Brother Art, Lakeli, Roger. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, make sure you share the link to the room and uh, just let us know where in the world you are joining us from. I see that Kay Benjamin is also on YouTube. Thank you so much. Nice to see you. Now, as we continue on with our conversation, there's this question that I ask all my guests, uh, Dr. Townsend. I, I ask um, for each guest to share with us a childhood story that really inspired who you are today. And I normally share that when I was eight years old, my mother gave me a, bi a bicycle, you know, like a cargo bicycle for transporting milk and bread in our neighborhood. And that is what introduced me to entrepreneurship. And uh, it's what introduced me to solving problems. Whenever I see a problem in the community, I come up with a solution. I don't look for uh, aid, you know. Uh, and I feel that, you know, for you to... Uh, for you to rise uh, to the level where you are, where you're now leading one of the most, uh, you know, incredible institutions uh, in our region and really around the world. You know, if you are in Kenya, you will find UW-affiliated initiatives. You know, for example, uh, at the Kisumu District Hospital where my mother worked, next door to my mother's office was a UW-sponsored... Oh, wow research oh, nice. Nice. yeah research uh, facility so uh that's why before the show i was just saying i'm so proud of the work that you do uh and also your team uh at the african studies program including um i i, I forget the the name of the the brother that connected us before this show um i'll remember before the end of the show but you've you've helped us host some of uh you know some leaders from africa including bobby wine 
from Uganda. Uh, he's an opposition leader from Uganda. And, um, you know, I have also done a talk about, uh, you know, the music of Somali uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. And so, uh, you know, what you're doing now is something that uh, I can't just tell you how proud I am of you, but I'll let you speak about, you know, what is it that has brought you to this point? What is it that continues to drive you to date? Sure. Yes. Um, so thank you so much um, for that question. So um, I was born into a household of Christian faith. Um, and as a child, when I was very young, I was diagnosed with a speech impediment. Um, sometimes um, it, it can display itself still. And so there would be times during my youth when I would be very discouraged. And so my mom, who is, you know, just just a, a rock, <laughs> you know, um, she actually opened up the Bible to the book of Exodus, right? And um, the story of Moses at the burning bush and um, Moses being really hesitant about receiving his calling and saying, you know, who am I? I'm slow of speech. And then God is like, who made your mouth now go? And so my mom basically introduced me to that story when I was very young to encourage me and just say, don't be down on yourself. You are who you are. You know, God has great plans for you and you can do this, you know? And so um, I think about that today, just in the dual sense that one, you know, God has been faithful, right? Um, unlike in the West, I think where there's very much kind of like a me, me, me um, um, worldview. Um, I am proud that my worldview is more of an African-based one, which really looks at, you know, we, not me, you know, and knowing that it took a lot of people outside of me to get me here, right? Teachers, family, organizations, schools, right? Um, and so I've just been profoundly blessed by that. And I can look back at that moment in my youth, you know, where my mom encouraged me um, as a real kind of um, um, launching pad into where I am today. Yeah, that's incredible. Mothers do so much uh, for their children. And, you know, you can tell, you can tell um, the story of our mothers through their children. And so I just love uh, what you shared with us. Now, uh, I, you know, I know that we're su supposed to jump straight into some of the work that you're doing at the African Studies Program at the UW. But uh, I feel that we need to have two other episodes with you where we can just dive deep into your books, you know, because uh, uh. your books are just so, uh, you know, they're timely. We need these books now, especially uh, in this era of Black Panther 2, uh, in this era of uh, cancel culture, you know, where what you say, uh, you have to really be politically correct. Otherwise, you're going to be swept by the wave, you know. Uh, yeah. So just speak briefly about your first book, Chosen Peoples of uh, Chosen Peoples, Christianity and Political Imagination in South Sudan. Uh, just touch on why, you know, you wrote 
and worked on this project. And I also want you to speak just briefly about your second book, Bounds of Blackness, African American, Sudan, and the Politics of Solidarity. Absolutely. Yeah. So my first book, um, I've always been really interested in the ways that people weave their religious identity into their political action, right? Um, of course, we've seen this in, uh, you know, we could say traumatic effect in the contemporary U.S., right? But I'm really interested in the ways in which Black peoples use their religion as an instrument of liberation from kind of state-sponsored oppression. Um, and so the Sudan is this really interesting case, right, where you've got people who identify as Black, African, and Christian, um, and who see themselves as a kind of chosen people in the same genealogy, say, as the ancient Israelites, right, who were called out of the house of bondage in Egypt into their um, their promised land, right? Um, but in the Sudan, oftentimes the people who have been, I guess, identified as the oppressor have been other Africans, right? Northern Sudanese, Arabs, and Muslims, right? And so my book, Chosen Peoples, is not, you know, a wholesale critique, right, um, of an entire people. And my project is not to demonize anyone, but it is to really kind of explore the ways in which people made the Bible and God real for them in their particular context, right? Um, it's one thing to read in scripture that, you know, God is great, but what does God's greatness mean in a colonized space, right? What does God's greatness mean within, you know, an actual context of war, genocide, marginalization? Um, and so these are the kinds of questions that that book explores. Incredible. Let's go to the second one. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, this, your second book that speaks about uh, the, it's called Bounds of uh, African, uh, Bounds of Blackness, mm -hmm. African yes. Americans, Sudan and the politics of solidarity. Speak to that for exactly. a second. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that book. It should be coming out next year with Cornell University Press. Um, and so as an African-American interested in the Sudan, I was really fascinated in my research for the, for the first book by the ways in which African-Americans kept showing up in the archive. You know, um, you've got a South Sudanese person writing to Dr. King in 1960 asking for help. You know, you've got um, Sudanese refugees, right, attending black churches. Um, you've got Sudan being talked about in very deep ways in African-American newspapers going back to the 1950s, right? And so I'm just really interested in the ways in which African-Americans are defining what it means to be Black across time by looking at the Sudan. Um, and so it's called Bounds of Blackness um, because, you know, there are ways in which what it means to be black, right, is not a kind of solid, static thing, right? It changes over time, right? Being black 
during the colonial period means something different from being black during the post-colonial, right? Being black during Jim Crow, right? And being black in the age of Obama, right? Might have certain similarities, but are not identical, right? Um, and, you know, who gets to be black, right? Who is included? Who is excluded? Um, who maintains those boundaries, right? And what are the, the consequences? Um, I think these are really big questions for us to grapple with, particularly during this age of Black Lives Matter. And I really want to write a world history of the Sudan that is not confined to the political borders of the country, but to really center Sudan in our imagining of global blackness and the global African diaspora. So incredible. Well, um, you know, uh, my tribe, the Luo tribe, uh, yeah, we yeah. also migrated from, from, from the current Egypt, actually, to Sudan. And uh, while I was working in Sudan, I had the privilege of actually riding a motorbike to the original place where my ancestors migrated from. Wow. Yeah, before they took the you know the nile southwards all the way to lake victoria where they settled you know so mm -hmm. i feel that i should be we should just light a fire sometime and sit and talk and really yeah. uh so when is your book out your second book when is it out sure so i'm actually finishing up the revisions now and so um God willing, if I have those in by the end of January, um, the book will be in hand, right? You know, that I can actually show to the world um, by this time next year. So it should be out in late 2023. That's incredible. One of the things that fascinates me about your current role at the University of Washington, uh, being the interim director of African Studies program, is that uh, there are so many universities across the world that have African studies program, you know, and uh, it's only the University of Washington and Seattle University locally that I have actually interacted with leaders in those programs, you know, uh, and uh, I have an appreciation for what you do, uh, you know, at the University of Washington, a deep appreciation. But I just want you to step back a little from you being involved with UW and just speak to why is it important for us to have African studies programs at these global universities, especially big institutions like the University of Washington. Why is it important? Absolutely. And outstanding question. Thank you for that. Um, I think it is important because it is impossible to understand the world historically or contemporarily without centering Africa, right? If you look at a map today, you'll, you will note that, you know, the UK is at the top and the center. And that was very intentionally done during the colonial period. But I think that one can approach the world map today and, you know, choose to see or choose to focus on the centrality of Africa, right? Africa is at the center of the global economy, right? It is the demographic center of world's Christianity now, right? It has, it is the continent with the largest Muslim population, <laughs> right? Um, 
it is a country that is booming with, or sorry, a continent, excuse me, that is booming with technology, right? Um, and so while so much of history has been written about Africa being on the receiving end of global forces, Africa has really been a prime agent, right? And so I think that it is imperative on every institution, right? Whether it is the University of Washington or a small liberal arts school or, you know, whomever, right? To take a deep investment on the study of Africa and Africans, right? African people, right? Africa is not just, you know, the pictures of savannas and elephants and giraffes and stuff. Yes, that th they are real and deserve attention too, but, <laughs> right, Africans, the African people, African religions and cultures and languages and politics, right? We need to be paying attention, right? Um, Africa also, demographically speaking, is experiencing the world's largest population boom, right? And yet it is, demographically speaking, the world's youngest continent, right? I think that the average age on the continent as of a few years ago was just 18 years old, right? So those two numbers in conjunction mean that by the year, say, 2050, right, Africans are going to be at the forefront of things that today we might not even imagine, right? We could have an African Pope. We could have an African UN Secretary General, right? Um, and so that's just to say that um, every institution needs to center Africa because Africa is at the center of what is going on in the world today and historically. Man, you just motivated me because I feel like I could be the next UN Secretary General or something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, you know, when, when we also speak about the University of Washington, it's like a government uh, in itself. Sure, uh, sure. I was sharing with you before the show began, as we were preparing that, uh, I used to see the University of Washington uh, branding in Kisumu, Kenya, where I was, and later on, I began seeing research programs that were being led by, led and funded by the University of Washington in Kenya, in Kisumu, in very rural areas as well. But as uh, I moved to Seattle, one of the jobs I had was actually at UW. I was a standardized patient at the University of Washington, where I was basically an actor. Uh, uh, and I was working with medical students, physical therapy students, dentists, dentist students. And my job was to act as if I was suffering from illnesses from the region I came from, you know, East Africa, Kenya, you know. And um, I also, through this, I was able to get exposed to a different side of UW, the UW in Seattle, you know. And then, uh, you know, as time went by, I began... Uh, doing talks at the at the African Studies program at the University of Washington. Uh, and then what followed is that I got a job with w one of the largest logistics companies in the world. And lo and behold, one of my clients and the clients of the company was the University of Washington. Wow. And I discovered that we were actually uh, helping the University of Washington transport 
uh, human remains, parts of human remains for research here in Seattle from Africa. You know, so for example, the things I used to see, those were the ways that the UW could get samples that they needed to research on here in Seattle. So being exposed to this world is making me curious to what are some of the things that excite you about the African Studies program? What research are you guys doing about Africa now that is going to impact the Africa of the future that you're talking about? And, uh, you know, talk to us about some of the, the work you're doing and what your, the, the, the era of your leadership is going to bring to African Studies uh, globally. Sure, absolutely. And thank you so much for those questions. Yeah, so first, I would say that the African Studies program at the University of Washington is in a really unique situation because of Seattle's enormous African population, right? Um, I'm currently teaching the Modern African History Survey course now at the UW, and I've got a student from Kenya, one from Nigeria, one from Somalia, a couple from Ethiopia, right? And so it's really a joy, right, to have Africans in my courses because while I believe that everyone should know African history, right? Yeah, it me, you know, it hits differently if I'm, you know, teaching about, you know, um Haley Salas, <laughs> right? Two people who are actually from the Horn of Africa, right? Um, and so I think that one of the things that I would like the African Studies program at the UW to do is to really create a pipeline and to strengthen the connections, right, that the UW has with the local um, African population, right? Um, we know that there's a huge population, of course, of Ethiopians and of Somalians, right? Um, um, and so I would really like to kind of make sure that for, you know, people of African descent living in the Puget Sound, that the UW is not seen as this distant, elite, inaccessible um, institution that is unconcerned with African life, you know, in King County, right, in Pierce County, right? Um, I think that universities across the country, right, have had to grapple with the history and the legacy of exclusion, right, that universities have had with Black peoples, right? Um, that's just an inescapable truth, right? And so as a person from a marginalized community leading an African studies program, um, I really want to increase, right, the number of not just African studies majors, right, but also the demographic representation of peoples of African descent who are able to attend UW, whether it is med school, law school, business school, you know, but definitely undergrad, right? I think that... Um, and I love you, you dub, right? So this is not a um, a kind of callous critique, um, but I think that it is hugely important, right? That 
the numbers of African students at the UW reflect, right, the African population in King County, right? Yeah. You can't have an institution with the resources of UW and the size of UW and not ask the question, right, where are the Africans, right? I want to see more Africans on campus, not just around campus, <laughs> right? Um, I just don't want Africans, you know, rocking a UW shirt. I want Africans with that UW badge saying, I belong here, right? I go here, right? Um, so that's a really big, um, that to me is a big goal that the UW should have. In terms of programming this year, I'm really excited. Um, uh, we have several speakers lined up for the winter and spring quarters. Um, we have, um, Mar oops, her name is Marius Cathor. Um, she is a PhD candidate from Yale. Um, she's gonna be talking to us and she's gonna be beginning her post as an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin next fall. Um, she'll be speaking to us in March. Um, professor David Ngong, who is actually from Cameroon. Um, he is a seminary teacher in Alabama. Um, he'll be talking to us in January and he'll be on campus um, talking about his new book on Leopold Senor. Um, we have um, Robin Davignon, who is an assistant professor from NYU. She's going to be coming to Seattle to talk with us about her new book on gold mining in West Africa. Um, and during Black History Month, I'm really excited. Um, we're going to be hosting a guest lecture with um, Dr. Benjamin Talton, who is not only a full professor of history at Howard University, of course, um, the HBCU in Washington, DC, but is also directing the Moreland Spingern Research Center, which is arguably the world's largest repository of Africana related primary sources. Um, and so it'll be really great to hear him talk about, you know, the roles of HBCUs, right? which is or which are really experiencing um a cultural resurgence right now right well what role or what influence should hbcus have on african studies moving forward right um the ivory tower in this country needs both right we 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 need pwis right predominantly white institutions like UW, right, doing research on Black people. We also need HBCUs, right, obviously doing the same thing, right? And how can PWIs like UW work with HBCUs, right, like Howard, to strengthen the study of Africa and Africans in this country as a whole, you know? Um, so those are some of the things that we are working on now. Um, so, yeah. Incredible, incredible. Uh, I just, uh, I, I am um, a subscriber of the UW, uh, you know, African Studies program. So I get, uh, I get all the notifications uh, for all the events that are happening there, including 
the virtual session that you just held recently on no, November 12th, you know. Uh, do you want to speak to that briefly? How was that? And after you share, I will begin bringing a few guests uh, to contribute as well. Go ahead. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I recently moderated a panel called Empires Strike Back, Football and Colonialism. Um, obviously, with the World Cup coming up, the world is going to see in very plain form, right, a lot of Africans playing not just on, you know, Cameroon and Egypt and Senegal, right, but also on France, England, right, Spain, Portugal, right, Belgium, right. And so we are going to have a lot of, you know, viewers saying, you know, how did those teams get so black, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and, you know, how are they Belgian, right? What does Englishness mean, right? If half the team is black, right? Um, so, um, so the panel was really good. Um, we talked about um, the kind of global reaction that um, the Cameroon women's football team faced in the last World Cup, you, you know, when they were um, arguing some calls, right? Um, we talked about kind of, you know, extremely briefly um, the history of soccer and its connections to racism, classism, colonialism, right? Um, and so um, th th those are some of the, the things that we talk about. And before we go on to the next segment, I just want to say that, yes, I admit I will be rooting for the U.S. team, but I will also be rooting for every African squad. So I hope that, you know, this can be the year that an African team, you know, if not the U.S., can go all, all the way. I agree 100%. Uh, the World Cup is being held in Seattle in 2026, you know. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in fact, the Minister of Culture for Tanzania is coming to Seattle next week, and part of his interest is because of that, you know. Oh, um, wow. okay. Let me know if you want to be a part of that conversation. I feel yeah. that you should be hosting these people. That would uh, be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I'm just so proud of the work you do. Uh, and I can't, I can't say how much, uh, you know, it's an honor to host you uh, in the African Father in America podcast today. For now, I want you to take a few notes. I want to bring in a few contributors who are calling in uh, to join us through Clubhouse. Uh, I want to start with Brother Arth in just a second. Before we bring you on, Brother Arth, I want to remind everyone who is watching, subscribe to the channel if you haven't, and give this video a thumbs up. If you haven't followed me on uh actually my new handle on youtube is the same as my handle on clubhouse and instagram and twitter at okelo javan and uh i also just want to recognize a few people here shomari has been a very very uh you know incredible supporter of the show for many years now uh thank you for being here and i also see devon and mohammed and uh i see uh, Nomad Woman has joined us as well and Ned and uh, Roger joining us from Singapore. Thank you so much. Brother Earth, where are you joining us from today? Uh, what are your thoughts on the proverb and do you have any comments uh, for Dr. Townsell? 
Peace and love, family. This is Brother Earth. I'm coming from the North Carolina Territory. And um, another beautiful conversation, as always, Simon. And um, as y'all, y'all covered a lot of ground, and there was so much he said uh, was going through my mind. I hate that I wasn't able to sit down and, you know, really be able to write down what I uh, wanted to, some of the points that I wanted to make or speak to. Um, but as far as, you know, a lot of stuff he said ties together uh, as far as, you know, the bounds of blackness, right? Uh, we're, we're taught that, you know, law governs all events. The first two pillars of law are status and jurisdiction. And a lot of time when we accept the status of black, uh, Negro, color, African-American, it puts, it puts us in a box or a label. And a lot of time when you accept the label black, it, the labels black and white were created to be at opposite ends of the spectrum. And that's why as a, you know, so-called African-Americans, it's time that we come out of these, you know, colonized mindsets and, um, you know, identify who we are as a people. And um, another point that he made, um, Oh yeah, I was watching Floyd interview do a uh, Floyd Mayweather do an interview, and he he said that he just I'm tired of people calling me Black American. I'm just an American, and he said you know, but when I went to the Olympics, I was just an American. I wasn't a Black American. And see, it, it's a it's a word game. It's a game that's being played on us that we don't even realize, and we don't necessarily know and understand our power as we. Uh, Noble Drew Ali said it's important for us to put the pen in our hand and tell a story. For so long, uh, we allow, whenever war takes place, most of the time the history is kept by the winner of the war. And when the winner of the war keeps the history, oftentimes whatever happened to the losing people is mistold or kind of swept under the rug. And for so long, the people who've been keeping the history have been uh, marginalizing us and slighting us. So that's why what he's doing to, uh, you know, make sure everything is on the up and up and uh, keep, uh, you know, have us in on these conversations and know what's going on. Because, again, we we are uh, the original uh, natives of civilization. And uh, before I keep just rambling on on that, I'm going to speak to the proverb. And what I'll say to the uh, proverb is rain does not fall on one roof alone. Uh, and kind of along the same sense that he said is, I, I, when I think of rain, or when most of the time when people say uh, speak of rain, you think uh, or feel that it is it being negative, bad luck, or overcast in somebody's life. And what they're saying is, you know, uh, the tell is telling someone that uh, no one life is going to be perfect, regardless of where you are, what you have, your race creed, religion, or what have you, you're going to have trials and tribulations. And that's what the rain signifies. And I'll park my plane right there. Brother Earth, peace and love, him. Peace and love to you, Brother Earth. Uh, I'll continue on quickly here uh, to Lavender. Lavender, how are you? Uh, where are you joining us? And uh, where are you joining us from? And what are your thoughts in regards to the proverb or uh, any comment to my guest today? Hi Simon, um, 
thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, Dr. Christopher Townsell, thank you so much for sharing with us. I just wanted to point out that um, you spoke about your mom earlier, and that reminds me a lot of my mom, the way she'd nurture and encourage us. Um, you feel a certain amount on con of confidence that you can never get from anybody else, be it money or wealth or status. Um, it's it's just different. And um, please let her know she brought up a stand-up human being and uh, you're an inspiration to many. And my thoughts about uh, today's proverb, or rather before I jump into that, I'd like to also appreciate Brother Earth. Your sharing was profound. Thank you so much. Um, oh, about today's proverb, rain does not fall on one roof alone. Um, like Brother said it, um, rain is usually looked at as uh, something negative, but it could be something positive. It depends on how you decide to look at things. And um, so however you look at it, it's never gonna rain forever, seasons change. So um, sometimes it's usually flooding somewhere else. Sometimes it's misty somewhere else. Sometimes it's just um, a few drops of rainfall. No matter what, it's gonna come to an end at some point. Thank you so much, Simon. There's Lavender and I'm done speaking. Excellent. Thank you, Lavender. Let's go quickly to Stella, then we'll go to Brother Rushi and Fred, then come back to our special guest, Dr. Christopher Townsell. Stella, how are you? Where are you joining us? And what are your thoughts in regards to today's uh, conversation? Hello, Simon. Hello, everyone. This is Stella from Kenya. And I'm glad I managed to join the show today. Uh, on today's proverb, uh, we talked about uh, rain does not fall on one roof alone. Uh, to me, when I first heard about it, it reminded me of uh, selfishness. And I think that it talked deeply about selfishness. And um, recently, I read that uh, you can be immaturely selfish or maturely selfish. And uh, I had never thought about selfishness in that way until I read that. And I think in this case, rain is maturely selfish because if rain were to fall on, let's say, one roof alone, then it would mean that uh, other places would be dry if you think of rain as something that is going to come with benefits especially if for for a farmer and farmers to say and uh, in this case i'm trying to appreciate rain as a good thing because when it rains then it means that uh, 
there's life that is going to come out of it. So uh, that's what I, I, I deeply thought about, about selfishness. And uh, in this case, Rain is maturely selfish, <laughs> talking about mature selfishness. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, for those meeting Stella and Lavender for the first time, they are part of the One Vibe team. And uh, I really appreciate you all for the incredible work you do. My brother, Brother Rushi, how are you? Thank you for joining us again today. Where are you today? And uh, what are your thoughts in regards to uh, the ongoing conversation? Thanks, Simon. Uh, this conversation is great. I am thoroughly enjoying the conversation. I am calling today from Nairobi, Kenya, where uh, where the rain has fell, fell fallen here, actually, because my street is pretty much flooded. So you've gotten some rain last night. Um, well, with this proverb, though, this, this is a very powerful proverb. Rain does not fall on one roof alone. And, you know, actually, when I first read this proverb, but then after I heard the guests, it put it in a whole different perspective for me, this actual proverb. Because I think when I, when I look at this proverb, the rain, rain, is, rain, which is water, signifies one of the key elements that we need in our life. You know, it's a very important, very vital to growth. So I, to me, this, this proverb speaks about the knowledge that falls upon us that we get to pass on. And with the guests talking about the studies and uh, having the, diff the different types of people, the, the subsets of cultures that resides inside one classroom that you can actually learn from. It's very, it's very powerful. Uh, just by me living in Seattle, living in the Columbia City neighborhood, a neighborhood that's very dominant Ethiopian and just being able to walk the streets and being able to learn from the people who I've met, you know, the different stories as to how they ended up in Seattle or why, how long, you know, those, those are such powerful lessons in life. And those are the things that, that we all get to embrace living inside such a diverse community that Seattle has. And it's even going further uh, from that. That's from me growing up on the East Coast of Charleston, South Carolina, and then going to uh, all black school, uh, South Carolina State University, which is uh, HBCU, and being submersed into a, a, a totally black uh, culture was another uh, lesson that I hold dear to my actual growth as a person, as an individual. So I, I think of those lessons uh, when, I, when, I look, when I look at this proverb, and I think this is a perfect proverb for, for the guest speaker, and I, I uh, thank you for this time. Thank you, my brother. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate you for being here despite the rains. Uh, let's go to Fred. Fred, how are you doing today? And uh, uh, what are your thoughts in regards to the proverb or comment on our special guest today? Greetings, Simon. Greetings to everyone. Greetings to Dr. Christopher also. Hey, Fred. Uh, Fred, this is Simon. Get close to your mic a bit. We want to hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. It's okay. Can you hear? It's much better now. Carry on. Oh, okay. All right. I was extending greetings to everyone. I started by doing that and inclusive with the doctor also. Um, from the little I heard, I came in a little bit late. Your work is uh, instrumental, which is strength and courage as you carry on. The proverb reminds me of the words of Kwame Kuma when he fought for the independence of Ghana, 
he said that the independence of Ghana is not complete unless tied to independence of others. Just like a ring that uh, doesn't fall in one roof, the problems and issues that are faced by people in the continent and other places connect humanity as well as our joys and our triumphs. So I'm reminded that being empathetic and sensible in recognizing challenges that other people face is as important as celebrating the wins and their victories. Thank you, Simon, for hosting me the last time, and it's always a pleasure and an honor being part of the conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Fred. I deeply appreciate you too, and uh, you know I appreciate your support for the show and your contribution today. Uh, I want to come back to you, Dr. Christopher Townsell. Uh, what did you hear from our friends, our brothers and sisters who contributed that you want to reflect on for a few minutes? And then I also want you to think about how we can support you, you know, how we can support your work at the University of Washington African Studies Program, but also how we can support you personally. I'm very, very passionate about supporting leaders like you. So if there's a link where you want us to go and get a copy of your first book, this is a good time to speak about it. If you are on social media and you want everyone who is listening and watching to connect with you, this is also a good time to think about that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And I'll just say that first, I'm blown away by the geographic scope of your listening audience. Um, that is amazing. And so just um, my props to you for the work that you are doing i mean singapore nairobi north carolina um you know and i went to duke so i am very familiar with north carolina so um i was happy to hear that um yeah the um i think that um one of the comments that stood out to me um was how this proverb connects with the idea of selfishness um, which is not something that I initially thought about when um, reading the proverb, but I do think that, um, yeah, that, that, that just got me to thinking, right? Um, if rain, you know, falls on those who are, you know, small and large, right, then, you know, we all have something that we can give, right? It might not be, you know, cash right but it could be patience knowledge love wisdom kindness right we all have rain that we can share with other people um so so i um i appreciate that and so um yeah i'll say um simon i would love to have you as a guest speaker um to the program as i try again to strengthen connections between the African studies program at the UW and the local African community. You know, um, I think that you have a very unique perspective um, to share. And I think that people within these big brick buildings here need to know about it, right? Um, we need to dismantle the town and gown divide and I think really come together and see this as a joint project, right? Um, a joint work. Um, 
And for those of you who are on social media, um, my Twitter handle is at ctouncil1. So at ctouncil and then just the number one. Um, and yes, it would be awesome um, if you are interested in acquiring the book. There are two ways. Um, one, and you know, I made sure that my um, publisher knew this, but um, the book is publicly available online um, for free. Um, you can download it. Um, I did not want financial means to be a prohibitive barrier um, for those who wanted to read the book. But um, so um, if you basically Google the title of the book, which is Chosen Peoples, colon, Christianity and Political Imagination in South Sudan, um, on Google Books, you should be able to, you know, scroll through the whole book. But if you're like me and prefer the um, you know, bound physical copy that you can hold in your hand and flip through and bookmark and, you know, um, mark through it. Um, you can go to the Duke University Press website. Um, and because the African Studies Association meeting is currently being conducted, I believe that um, there is a code that you can enter. I believe it's ASA 22 and you can get the book for 40% off. Um, so that's just to say that if you want the physical book, you can get that at a decreased cost now on the Duke University Press website. Or if you would rather um, read through it electronically, um, you can go to Google Books, um, type in the name of the book, and you can scroll through it at your leisure. Wow, incredible, incredible. I'm, I'm just grateful uh, to you, Dr. Townsell, and uh, I want to do two things before I let you go. I want to recognize Jay Ware, who is an incredible leader, uh, poet, and writer from Seattle who just joined us for the conversation. Thank you for being here. I also want to give a chance to Norma Duman, who joined us on the stage. Uh, do you want to say something real quick before we end the show? Hello everyone, my name is uh, Hidaya and I'm joining you from uh, Sweden. This made me very happy and I want to thank everyone for doing this. And uh, it's actually very needed to have Africans telling our own stories and sharing with the world. And this, this is the first time I've heard about this proverb and I see rain as something positive. So when something positive happens to one household it happens to all of us that is how i have understood and when a calamity falls upon us then it falls on all of us so it, it is uh, amazing to me to hear the work you are doing and uh, i can't wait to read that book actually i'm going to try to find it tonight oh excellent. thank you so much thank you Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we are now joined by someone from Sweden, which is incredible. Uh, and really, uh, you know, I, I thank you all, uh, you know, for contributing today from, uh, you know, the nomad woman all the way to Lavender and uh, to all our listeners who didn't have a chance to contribute. And to everyone who is going to watch and listen to the show later on, I deeply appreciate you. 
uh, and uh, you know to you dr townsell i can't wait uh, for me to come and speak at the university of washington uh, as i was saying i did it once i had to research you know i was a dj for a long time and oh, wow, so okay. yeah yeah so i had to research the relationship between somali music in the 70s and 80s and afrobeat and felakuti music and how um those uh, the, the music scene in africa and the us influenced each other but mm. particularly the relationship between all the music around the world at that time and what was going on in somalia so that was the first time i spoke at uh, the the uw uh, african studies program and i can't wait for another opportunity but i just want to commend you uh, and let you know that you have a friend in the african father in america podcast so if you have any other speakers coming up just let us know and we'll host them and help spread the word as much as we can uh, in fact we will have a blog uh, that we will write as a result of this podcast episode we do that with all episodes so we'll share the blog with you so that you can also share it with your community um, but i'm just grateful have a nice uh, rest of your day and uh, i'm sure we will we will probably see each other next week thank you so much awesome thank you take care all right bye 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 african father in america tujikaze tujikaze jikaze tujikaze tujikaze jikaze african tujikaze tujikaze jikaze america tujikaze tujikaze jikaze you are listening to african father in america podcast by simon javanokelo live from seattle washington